running for the touchdown. Jackpot, baby. Josh Jacobs. Welcome to the JT The Brick Show. Always exciting to play at home. We all want to play at home, and this is an unbelievable venue to play at. It's time for the JT The Brick Show. On a personal level for me, I, I just we can't wait to get to game day, right? We can't wait to get on the grass. JT The Brick. Cars up underneath James. Going to fire quickly. Jackpot, baby. Touchdown, Raiders. On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Here's your host, JT The Brick. JT, alive from the Raider facility, the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. On a quick Friday show, Q's going to jump in for me at the top of next hour as I'm here to host the Silver and Black Show. Jumping in for Aaron Coscarelli today. So big uh, television show today, our conversation with Rich Passaccia. Coming up here in a little bit as we're brought to you by the best happy hour down PTs. Uh, if you were at PTs last night, a lot of fans were there as they lit the lamp. Vegas 5-2 over Detroit. Outstanding win. Type of game that the Vegas Golden Knights need. As we segue into the Raiders, as the Raiders need a win like the Vegas Golden Knights got last night. We've spent most of the week here talking about the Cincinnati Bengals. We've had some good guests on Andy Furman yesterday to preview him. Tim Brown came on the show this week. And really the theme of this week was how to get the Raiders going again. What is it going to take to get the Raiders popping, going again, so they can win and get back to their winning ways? It's been a while. It feels a lot longer than just a few games here. The giant loss, Kansas City back-to-back, it just feels like this has been going on because, you know, the bye week added that in. So the Raiders have been waiting for a win for quite some time. CBSSports.com put out a really good column last night that I I finished up my show last night. I read this column by Patrick Walker, and he wrote at CBSSports.com how each team can win the AFC West. And it says the Chiefs can't afford more missteps. The Chargers must get hot and more. So with the Chiefs, it's obvious they're coming off a good game. They got the Cowboys and then a bunch of division games. And the Chargers might catch a break this Sunday, depending on what happens with Ben Roethlisberger. It's unclear if Ben Roethlisberger will be cleared from the reserve COVID-19 list in time. But that has to be no consequence to the Chargers, who badly need a victory at home. They've lost to the Cowboys, the Patriots, and the Vikings on their home field. So Raider fans, I know you've been triggered and pretty wired here. Think of the Chargers and how good they are and who they've lost to, especially at home. But I want to read what he wrote about the Raiders, who are at 5-4. and four. No team in the NFL has had to overcome more challenges than the Raiders, and it's not even remotely close. Despite the scandal surrounding now-ousted John Gruden, the tragic DUI fatality that led to the release and criminal charges against former first-round pick Henry Ruggs and their other former first-round pick, Damon Arnett, being cut loose due to his own brand of all-field issues. Derek Carr and interim head coach Rich Passaccia have steadied the ship as best as they could. You'd think this team would be shattered by now, but quite the opposite. And they were only a few plays away from making the Chiefs regret visiting Allegiant Stadium in Week 10. They couldn't piece it together Sunday night, though, and that saw a shot at sole ownership of the division awarded to Kansas City, at least for now. Carr needs to get back to making sure tight end Darren Waller is involved in the offense. Let me repeat that again. Let me stop and repeat that again. Derek Carr needs to get back to making sure tight end Darren Waller is the focal point of the passing attack 
and then get others involved after Waller has his momentum while the defense has to figure out a way to get more pressure on opposing quarterbacks to force them into making mistakes that can translate into turnovers. Losers of two straight, their next challenge is a difficult one, seeing as Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase are a force to be reckoned with. And then comes Dak Prescott and his brand of Merry Men on Thanksgiving. Take two of the next three games and then get payback against the Chiefs in Week 14 and the Raiders will be right where they want to be. So those are some pretty encouraging words from Patrick Walker, who writes from CBSSports.com. He seems like he's an optimist going forward on how the Raiders can turn this around, but it's got to start. It has to start with a win Sunday afternoon against Cincinnati. And that's really important going forward because a win here really rights the ship, and it gets the locker room and the organization back to winning, and it gets these fans all riled up, and you fans have been great. All week long. We've taken a lot of phone calls, a lot of intense phone calls, some angry phone calls this week, but I appreciate it. I appreciate the loyalty to this show. For you turning, tuning in every day at noon and being there for me, because it's been rough the last couple of weeks, but I come into the radio show as a refuge for me, and it's great to see the phones light up and all these great guests come on and the experiences I've had over the last couple of weeks with Tim Brown, Fred Bolitnikoff, Charles Woodson, and so many great fans at the tailgates, in the stadium, where I'm walking around at the torch, where I hope you come and uh, visit us on Sunday. That should be where you start your day. Sunday, come to the Al Davis torch. Come see us do the pregame show. Get a beer, get a beverage, get a Coke, whatever you're going to drink. Take a look at the view from behind us of the strip in the Hacienda Bridge, and then look back at the entire stadium and get your game on. Get your head on. Get in there early. Experience Allegiant Stadium. Get there with your friends and family, your fellow Raider fans, and make it loud. Watch the warm-ups and get going. It's a big one. They're all big. Last couple of weeks, I've been saying how important these games are. Well, this is a do-or-die game. Raiders have to win, and we know if you're you're fortunate to have a ticket, appreciate that fact, and be loud on third down. Be quiet when Derek Carr has the ball in the red zone. Get up and scream first down when the Raiders get it, and be at your best. Sunday is a huge day again for the Las Vegas Raiders, and they're going to need all the support that they can get. Yesterday, I sat down with the head coach of the Silver and Black. Here's my conversation with Rich Passaccia. All right, Coach, let's start with the Kansas City loss. It was an uncharacteristic loss. Kansas City made a bunch of big plays. You almost had a few big plays that could have changed the game. How did the team react this week in practice, and what do you expect from them? Yeah, I think the reality of the last game we played is no one felt like we played played well. We didn't do anything really to put ourselves in position, um, whether it was the first half, the second half, or really in any phase to do that. And uh, we're just in position now. We have another opportunity coming up this week. So we've been excited about practice and preparing and getting ready to play the next game at home. Let's talk about the loss of Alec Engel. What a player he is. How has that affected him and the team as a captain? We know he's going to be around here as a leader and what you expect out of him going forward. Yeah, again, so unfortunate for him and what he brings to us. He's our energy guy all the time. He's really bright. He plays multiple positions, not only in offense, but for us in the kicking game as well. So we're going to keep him around. He's going to stay in the meetings. He's going to sit right next to Sutton Smith and try to get him caught up on the things that we need him to do. They actually have a relationship from coming out of high school. They were both committed to the University of uh, Northern Illinois at one time together. And then Alec moved on to Wisconsin. But um, it's been good to, to have him in our meetings and still be able to stay, help get, get us prepared for what's coming next and keep his 
strategy for us. I know you asked, uh, answered a lot of questions this week on Darren Waller, how to get him going with Derek again. How do you throw him open? How do you get him open? Get that chemistry back with, with Derek Carr going forward. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping we never really lost the chemistry. They've been just doing some other things to us to take Darren away from us to some degree. So I think positionally and what Greg's going to do to kind of get him in maybe some different spots. But some of the good parts about what they've done to Darren is it's opened some other people up. You know, Brian's had some good plays for us now, and Zay's had some plays, and certainly what Hunter's been able to do because a lot of the coverage has gone towards Darren's way. So hopefully we'll see what, what happens this week. Let's stay with Hunter. What a year he's having, a career year, still a very young player. I want to talk about his leadership also, like we talked about with Alec, and now how you lean on him going forward, a 5-4 and four team, and he's been a guy who's really been delivering for you. Yeah, and I think Hunter's more of a quiet type leader for us. He's a guy that you can have a conversation with in the locker room. He can sit down and talk to different players um, in our dining facility. And then, you know, his actions, when he can practice the way he practices out there and the chemistry he's starting to develop with Derek, I think his actions will show some leadership for us. Coach, what do you think about up-tempo, no huddle, to get the offense going? I know you're talking about this with the offensive coaching staff. Could that be a big difference going forward to play faster early in games? You know, again, I think Greg's done a wonderful job with what we've done. You know, we do some tempo things as the game goes on, but it all depends on where are we in the game, where is the field position that we have the ball at, and what can we do to be advantageous to not only help us on offense, but how are we protecting and helping our defense as well. So aside from the fumble, Deshaun Jackson got open downfield, made a big catch. What's it been like now speeding him up with this playbook, this week of practice, needing him to play big going forward? Yeah, again, I think a lot of credit goes to Deshaun and Edgar and, and Nick Holtz, what, what he's done. He comes in early. He stays late. He's done a great job of recreating the scripts out there and practicing walkthroughs, and we're getting him more and more and more involved with what we're trying to do. So that fumble was just part of the game. You know, It wasn't the end of the game, and um, we're expecting him to get a little bit better each week. Let's get to the Bengals. Identical record, kind of the same place you're in in the division, an opportunity to win the division. People are talking about wild card potentially since week four 8.5 yards when it comes to per play they're they're explosive now with this offense with Burrow and Jamar Chase what do you see when you look at the film yeah they're, they're really doing a, a tremendous job of running the football you know their offensive line coach Frank Pollock and I were together for a long time in Dallas we know exactly what he's trying to do we know the tempo that he tries to set the physicalness in which they play they're really good at running back position they're a good play action team now certainly with Burrow's an emerging quarterback in our league but it starts with the run for them and we'll have our hands full. We'll have to do a good job of starting to run, hopefully to eliminate some of the other things they do off the passing. Yeah, it's interesting with Burrow. He comes out of LSU, one of the greatest teams ever assembled. Then he gets injured and comes back, and he's right back up to speed with these weapons at the receiver. What maturity level have you seen already from him? Because he's more of a pocket passer compared to Mahomes, who you just played. Yeah, again, both certainly different systems that they're coming out of, but Burrow understands the system he's in. He was an extremely mature player coming out. People got a chance to visit with him at the combine. He looks like he's really worked himself into great physical condition coming off of the injury. So there'll be a handful on offense, but it starts with the run for them. Let's wrap it up with Max and Yannick Ngakwe. Those are your cornerstone edge rushers. They got close to Mahomes a few times, but Patrick made plays outside the pocket. The importance of them, they're healthy. They're your leaders. Statistically, they're both having big years. Big game coming up here. Again, example leaders. The power of example from those two guys, what it looks like in practice. They're in supreme physical condition. Two of the first guys in the building, two of the last guys to leave. They're constantly talking to not only defensive players, but offensive players, everyone in the building. So we're trying to feed off of their energy, not only in practice, but the way in which they play and compete with relentless effort in the game. Last one, your leaders from Derek to Max, you guys you just mentioned, Alex and Hunter, Darren Waller. 
It's the core of this team. You got great players and leaders here as you're trying to make a playoff run, get a big win at home. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Besides the, the, the plays that they make on the yeah. field, they, they're quality men, and that, that's been a big deal for us. The character of those guys we hope exudes what a Raider's supposed to look like. Good luck against the Bengals, Thank coach. you very much. So after sitting down with Coach yesterday and hosting the Silver and Black show coming up here in about an hour, I think Coach was pretty loose. He talked a lot before the interview about his – granddaughter playing softball and how happy he loves his family coach Pasaccia loves his family his grandkids he's been through a lot and the last couple of weeks they've lost games after he got off to that quick start so I'm hoping that coach Pasaccia can get a win here and get back to his winning ways again and get the Raiders rolling in a lot of ways as you heard in our conversation you know the up-tempo thing's a big deal for me spent most of this week talking about up-tempo and how important it is for the Raiders to play fast. If they can start off fast and get a lead, that will be the beginning of the building blocks to win this game. If they fall behind early, you just got to open up the game plan for Derek Carr, abandon the run, and start throwing again. Every team wants to be balanced when they start off a game, but that balance goes out the door if you're trailing. And I think you got to embrace the shootout. Joe Burrow does. Derek Carr's been around a lot longer than Joe Burrow. Did you see Mac Jones last night? I want to get to that this hour. I mean, Mac Jones has won every... This stat was incredible last night. Mac Jones is one of three quarterbacks in the history of the league to start out winning all of his games, first five games on the road. The other two, Ben Roethlisberger and Dak Prescott. And we're going to see Dak on Thanksgiving Day. Patriots look good last night, everybody. They're 7-4. and four. That's one of the playoff spots that the Raiders are going to want. It looks like the Patriots are wrapping up right now. I don't think the Patriots are going to be able to catch Buffalo, but I could be wrong. Uh, they look good. They went into Atlanta. That game last night, Matt Ryan was a mess. Arthur Smith, the coach, I mean, the post-game sound, they were dead on arrival. And now Bill Belichick, he gets a little bit of extra time off. But I'm going to predict something crazy here for fun. I think the Patriots can lose their next four games in a row. Check out who the Patriots have in their next four. You think the Raiders have a tough schedule. Check this out. They play the Titans at home. I think they'll lose that. At the Bills, they'll lose that. At the Colts, Colts are pretty good, and then they get the Bills at home again. If the Patriots lose those four games in a row, they go from 7-4 and four to 7-8. and eight. How about that for some fuzzy math? You try to find a Raider win here or there. Raiders need to just get to six and four. And then maybe if the Patriots hit some roadblocks here, the Raiders can jump them in the wild card race. But the Raiders have a little separation from Cincinnati in that division. They already beat Pittsburgh. They already beat Baltimore. Let's keep it going in the AFC North. All right, we'll keep it going here. Lee Sterling's going to join us coming up here next from Paramount Sports. He's going to give us three games for free. One of the games is going to be the college game between Oregon and Utah. And I'm very much looking forward to that game because we're Pac-12 out here. We know that the Las Vegas Bowl is coming up around the corner. And I think Oregon's going to win that game, but I wonder what Lee Sterling says. He will join us coming up on the other side as we are brought to you by Remy Martin. Team up for excellence. Raise your cocktail game here in Vegas. But as Remy Martin reminds you, Please be careful over the holidays. No drinking and driving. Remy Martin reminds you, take an Uber or Lyft. Leave your car. Walk. 
Do whatever you can do to stay out of your car if you've been drinking. Very important partner of ours, Remy Martin, proud partner of our show. When we come back, we'll talk to Lee Sterling. We'll give you three games for free. And then a little bit later on, we have another gambling segment coming up. And we'll talk to a gambling data analytic guy who I can't wait to tell you about as we continue here. That'll be Benjamin Brown from Pro Football Focus on how to bet some of these games and what's happening around the NFL as we continue. Short show. Thanks to Q for stepping up for me as I'm live from the Raiders right here on Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. Welcome back, JT, live from the Raiders facility on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM, the Inner Mountain Healthcare Performance Center. On what is a big weekend, as we all know, huge weekend for the Raiders to make a statement. Do you want a statement or do you just want to win? I was kind of looking for, obviously, a win, but I, I think the Raiders need a statement game. They need to put up a big game that's going to get the attention of the Cowboys and everybody else around the league. That has to happen. We're brought to you by Woodson Whiskey, Hall of Famer and Raiders icon. Charles Woodson built his legend on the gridiron. Now he's taking the same dedication to his new craft, Woodson Bourbon Whiskey. It's finished in the same barrels that Charles makes his wine with. It gives it that spicy caramel finish. Go to WoodsonWhiskey.com to find a store near you that carries it. If it wasn't your game day whiskey already, it is now Raider Nation. Switch to Woodson bourbon whiskey you'll feel like you're drinking with charles like i did the other night uh, let's get going here the coach's interview really appreciate rich Basaccia. and now a couple of notes i have from our conversation that was as i said an uncharacteristic loss but it's just a week 10 game but it's one that the national media picked up on and said was an enormous enormous loss so do you believe in that or not do you believe that that's an enormous loss or is that a game that the Raiders can put behind them? They're still above 500 halfway through the season. So now Coach Basaccia has got to get more out of Coach Olsen and this offensive coaching staff. And the same with Gus Bradley. Uh, Gus has had a hell of a year this year, but that was not a good performance or memorable. So the Raider defense really needs to bounce back. I don't think we could have spent any more time on Darren Waller than we did this week. It's good to have him back on the field the past two games. But after a strong return in Week 9... He's at his lowest yardage total of the season and tied for his fewest receptions in 2021. Were the Chiefs keying on him to take him out of the equation? And is there a balance to forcing the ball to your premier pass catcher versus taking what the defense gives you? You know where I stand on that. Who cares what the defense does? Go to him. Force the ball to Waller. You're not throwing into triple coverage. Pro Football Focus says he's open more than any other tight end in the league. So they're either missing him or Derek doesn't have enough time or confidence to find him. Hopefully that confidence was built this week. Let's get to Deshaun Jackson again, the fumble aside. I think we saw a few glimpses of how fast he can be. I saw him down on the field in warm-ups, and that big catch was right in front of me, and he turned inside, and the ball got knocked out. Very uncharacteristic of a receiver who doesn't fumble the ball. I think the coaching staff believes in him. He got a lot more work this week. He's healthy. And I think we got to expect him to at least have a couple of attempts, attempts and targets early in this game. 
As the great Raider Mort once said, probably the greatest legendary longest Raider fan that I've ever met, take two shots each half deep downfield to let the defensive coordinator and the safeties know you're out there. Well, this would be a good time to do it, especially in this matchup with the Bengals, who give up the 10 most receptions of 20 yards or more in the league. This is not a great secondary that Cincinnati has. It's not. Let's move to the defensive side of the ball. This is going to be another big, high-powered offense coming to Vegas here in Week 11. And a couple of numbers to keep an eye on. Since Week 4, the Bengals have the highest yards per play average in the league. That's 8.5 and have scored the fifth-most offensive touchdowns with 21. So since Week 4, they've been one of the best offenses in football because they have an assortment of weapons that can make plays. Joe Burrow has the fifth highest completion percentage in the league with the seventh most passing yards through week 10. He reminds me of a young Derek Carr. He really does. What can the secondary take from last week against the Chiefs? Well, I thought the Chiefs torched the Raiders secondary. As I said, I wouldn't play Jonathan Abram against the Chiefs again, but I'd play him against Joe Burrow and give him a shot here to be a better player. But the Chiefs offense, I think, is better when it's explosive than Cincinnati. But Cincinnati's pretty close. And then we have Jamar Chase, who's a breakout rookie. And man, has he lived up to expectations. He's been compared to a young Randy Moss, and I think he deserves that. Because he came with the fifth overall pick in the draft. He has the fifth most receiving yards in the NFL and leads all receivers with 19 yards per catch. Let me repeat that again. He leads all NFL receivers with a 19-yard per catch average. Casey Hayward, he still hasn't given up a touchdown all year long, and this will be big for him. He's got to play great. Jamar Chase is a burner. He's better than anybody else. He's better than Odell Beckham Jr. He's better than Deshaun Jackson, and he's a rookie. So you got to double-team him over the top with the safety, You know what I think about Jonathan Abram in that spot. You got to hope that Trayvon Merrick's going to be there for a few jump balls. A lot of the plays that Chase makes takes time to develop. So the pass rush is going to be crucial this week. Forcing Burrow to throw earlier than he wants. Got to have a big game with Matt Crosby. I'm talking production, two sacks. Yannick Ngakwe won one and a half sacks. Let's get this defensive line going. Let's send out an APP for Solomon Thomas. And Hankins, let's get them going. Raider Nation, those are the notes heading into Cincinnati. What do you think about this? What is the key? Hit me up at Twitter, at JT the Brick. I think the key is stopping Jamar Chase. He's the one guy that can come into Allegiant Stadium and give the Raiders a nightmare. More JT the Brick Show brought to you by Remy Martin. Team up for excellence. Remy Martin, raise your cocktail game live from the Raider facility. JT, welcome back. Thanks for joining us all week on Raider Nation Radio. 9.20 a.m. as we are brought to you by our good friends at Doghouse Saloon. Head on out there to Monday Night Football. I remind you on Friday so you can make plans. Monday Night Football, Doghouse Inside, Resorts World, Las Vegas, the newest property on the Strip. There's not a bad seat in the Doghouse to watch the game. Plus, that's where their sports book is. So if you're betting football, 
You want to drink? You want to have great music afterwards? It's Doghouse. Enjoy incredible food and drink specials, followed by an amazing after party with live entertainment, dueling pianos. It's gorgeous. It's brand new. You have to see it. Doghouse Saloon at Resorts World, Las Vegas, our official home for Monday Night Football. Benjamin Brown is kind enough to join us. He is one of the sharp guys. They're all sharp at Pro Football Focus, and he's their betting and data analyst host. And he's got a really good podcast that I listen to. Wanted to get him on this week on Raider Nation Radio to talk about how to gamble, how to look at the teams here, some of the trends that he's seeing. And we go back, Ben. Thanks for coming on to Monday Night Football. That was a big statement game by the 49ers as they beat the Rams. They finally got a home win. It's really starting to look like Kyle Shanahan seems to own Sean McVay. How do you see it? Yeah, it is really interesting, right? Obviously, that head-to-head matchup uh, significantly skewed in one direction. I do think it, you know, people have kind of tried to bury Kyle Shanahan over the course of the 2021 season uh, for some things, not necessarily out of his control, but maybe some more of that personnel decision-making sort of things. But I think he is, you know, close to as good as anybody as far as calling a unique offensive game plan executing that game plan and having it kind of be as effective as possible against that opposing defense so nobody does it better obviously the Rams have one of if not the best defenses in the NFL and Kyle Shannon continues to exceed expectations especially facing off against them so I go back to the fact that even despite his personnel decisions some of his fourth down decision making isn't necessarily great from an analytics perspective some of the things that he does from play calling uh, definitely separates him from, you know, a lot of the other coaches of the NFL. And I think that's where they won uh, here on Monday night. So definitely a great game for the 49ers. Yeah, it was a great game. They played all out. They played with their season on the line. I love the performance because that's what you do when you're desperate. You go back to basics, you go to matchups, what works, and they seem to know how to beat the Rams. Uh, just like Kansas City and what they did Sunday night against the Raiders, what did you see there? Because it looked like Andy Reid and Mahomes got back to the basics with the enemy and ran the plays that seemed to always work against the Raiders. Yeah, definitely. And, and it was a lot of the, um, you know, it was a lot of like the tight end screen sort of situations where Travis Kelsey's kind of, you know, chipping against a guy like Max Crosby and then getting off, getting on the line and getting him in a little bit of space, even if it is a low average depth of target. I think him involved as the center of the offense is kind of what makes the Chiefs go, right? I do think some of those are more comfortable throws for Patrick Mahomes. We did see still a couple turnover-worthy plays uh, from his perspective, but actually being able to distribute the football downfield to kind of everybody as opposed to focusing solely on Tyreek Hill, I think was the main takeaway. And the thing that we really needed to see uh, from the Chiefs in general to probably start buying into them as one of the best teams in the AFC. And, you know, with the rest of the AFC kind of in uh, almost complete disarray, uh, they are kind of white, right back to being, uh, you know, that team that we're kind of thinking of are going to play for that AFC championship game. So uh, definitely a good, strong performance from the Chiefs as well. Follow Ben Brown at PFF underscore Ben Brown. What have you seen with the Cowboys this year that from a no-show game against Denver to just slaughtering Atlanta, and we know what they're doing on uh, defense. They're very opportunistic, but what are you seeing on the offensive side with the balance between running the ball and throwing it? Because they seem to be very balanced, and Dak has got so many weapons that he's feeding this year. How do you see it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's going to be a great game here on Sunday, and like you said, the Dallas Cowboys have been uh, one of, if not the best offenses in the NFL, uh, 60% pass rate, 40% run run rate. So I do think they're kind of right along some of the most balanced teams in the NFL. But I think Mike McCartney probably isn't getting enough credit for 
kind of how his game plan has been, right? He's been really aggressive in the fourth down decision-making, putting this team in the best situations to win. And I think Dak Prescott is looking like, you know, a top two or three NFL best quarterback right now. And the weapons on the outside, uh, you know, nothing but, uh, nothing but you know, there's very few wide receiver units in the NFL that can, can compete with it. You know, Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, they're getting Michael Gallup back and healthy as well. Uh, Dallas Schultz kind of carried that unit to start the season. He's another factor in there. And then, of course, they have Ezekiel Elliott. So I'm not afraid to kind of put them as uh, probably the class of the offensive teams in the NFL right now. And for that reason, I do think that they can definitely challenge uh, for the NFC title, especially with, you know, the Buccaneers looking a little bit more vulnerable. Uh, the Los Angeles Rams also looking vulnerable. I do think that uh, the Cowboys are probably going to sneak up on people a little bit here. It has, you know, I'm willing to throw out uh, the Broncos performance based solely on, uh, I think Dak Prescott was maybe just a little bit more banged up heading into their bye than what we projected. Didn't play against the Vikings uh, and then kind of came back against the Broncos. It didn't really look right. So uh, I'm definitely buying into their performance against the Falcons a lot more than the Broncos. And I definitely think uh, they are serious contenders in the NFC right now. Ben Brown is our guest, pro football focus. You know, the Vikings are a team the last couple of years. It's incredible. They've had a Super Bowl roster. We see what Cousins can do when it comes to analytics and his stats, and sometimes they're just so good. You say, how can this team lose so many games? Now they get the Packers at home in a must-win game. I think the line's two and a half to three for the Packers at the Vikings here. I think this is the last stand for the Vikings, almost the way it was the last stand for the 49ers, and they came up so big against the Rams. How do you see this game? Yeah, definitely, and it is, it is hard. I think, you know, we talk about on, like, the PFF betting podcast, you can't necessarily coach your bets, right? I would love to be able to buy into the Vikings right now if I knew that what they were going to do is how they played against the Chargers last week, right? They're going to start off by heavily targeting Justin Jefferson downfield, try and get him involved early instead of kind of, you know, trying to establish a run with Delvin Cook, get it to their best playmaker's hands, who is Justin Jefferson, force Kirk Cousins, maybe a little bit out of his comfort zone, but have a higher average depth of target early, get up on some of those teams and then be able to bury them with some of that key fourth down decision-making. I think they were, you know, the more analytically sound team against the Chargers. They absolutely have to do that uh, against the Packers here. And we'll see how aggressive, you know, Mike Zimmer and the offensive play calling is willing to be, um, against the Packers here at home. I think I think my my understanding is I think that they're probably going to lean more towards the clamming up nature that we've seen previously that has kind of been to their detriment. I would love to see them you know come out and throw the ball right away, but I just think uh, what they're asking Kirk Cousins to do has been successful, but unfortunately yeah. they're not really challenging him to make some of those throws downfield that they absolutely have to if they do want to be legitimate contenders in the NFC. Ben Brown, Pro Football Focus, as we wrap it up. You tweeted out three receivers have gone over their reception prop in at least eight games this season. Obviously, Cooper Cup, Hunter Renfro, and Christian Kirk. Uh, that's fun when you could take a look at a pre- uh, prop bet before the start of the season and catch it at the halfway season point. Are there some guys that are so far under the number here that you're shocked by it and just aren't putting up the numbers that are expected and have a long way to go to get to that number? Yeah, definitely. I mean, some of those guys, um, you know, I didn't want to tweet out uh, the performances of it but there have been definitely some guys especially at the wide receiver position uh that just just look like absolute misses some of them you know key offseason acquisitions guys like nelson Aguilar aren't going to come mm. close to what uh the preseason projections for them were robbie anderson as well and then you know jalen rigar uh philadelphia's first round wide receiver selection last year uh looks like a complete bust right now he's not going to get anywhere close to some of you know some of his receptions and receiving yardage numbers so uh, those guys definitely misses. I think uh, another one that's kind of interesting to me, Trevor Lawrence, 
hasn't gone over his passing touchdown prop in a single week yet this season. Um, so he's a guy, you know, obviously number one overall pick, could put it together right now, but it's been a, a little bit of a disaster in Jacksonville for Trevor Lawrence. Uh, ben, I saw you put out on your podcast, your betting podcast, the Circa Millionaire Consensus Contest Picks. I'm out here in Vegas. It's a super contest at the Westgate. It's the Circa Millions. When you look at it this year, it seems to me, and I interview a lot of gamblers and hang out, with a lot of football gamblers here. I'm not one of them, but it is really hard. Is it hard this year to win if you're a, a sports betting football fan here, especially if you're tying it into parlays? There are massive upsets coming out of nowhere, and I know how hard it is to bet these wild upsets and be on the right side of that. What are you hearing around the industry about football bettors and how difficult this particular season is? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really difficult because we've seen so many – really outlier performances by certain teams and then they kind of move back toward that market expectation for the next week so some of it is just evaluating you know each individual week and game how that team performed uh the expectation for them moving forward but i'm more of a person who kind of plays opposite of the market in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um so i'm looking at more some of those dogs in general so it has been profitable for that from my perspective but i'm also looking at just markets that aren't necessarily as difficult to beat as some of those game spreads uh, and totals and things like that in the Circa Millionaire. So I focus a lot of my effort and time on player props, uh, some more strategy on some of like the in-game betting aspects and components. And then again, back to those parlays, I'm trying to find some like you know correlated plays that can potentially pay off uh, with a higher degree of payout than what you know the math mat the math basically checks out at. So that's kind yeah. of how I played. It has been successful so far, um, but it is definitely a difficult, difficult mark to beat, especially if you're betting it on Sunday morning. You're a sharp guy, and you you talk about in-game. Do you think you're getting better at in-game betting with the technology? Take some of our listeners behind the scenes. When they bet a game, and maybe you go with the underdog, and you're going over the total, and the game is looking like it's going opposite of your bet here, do you jump back into in-game? Is it really dangerous and violent to do that? And how have you gotten better over the last couple of years since in-game betting has become at least bigger? I don't think it's – most people don't want to do it because they don't understand it. They're not quick enough. Right. they got to be locked in on the technology. How are you finding success with it? Yeah, definitely. So I, I usually approach it where I haven't necessarily bet that game on, like, the pregame or pre-spread uh, number. So I'm waiting for it to um, – for example, if I, like, uh, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs are two-and-a-half-point favorites, um, you know, at home against the Dallas Cowboys. Say I like mm-hmm. the Dallas Cowboys at plus two and a half. Instead of betting them on the pregame number, I'm going to wait until maybe maybe the Chiefs score a touchdown right away. Maybe that line moves out to, you know, six and a half, seven, seven and a half for, for the Cowboys. And then when, you know, before the Chiefs kind of kick off uh, and turn the ball over to the Cowboys, that's kind of when I'm trying to bet uh, the Cowboys expecting them to potentially come down, at least kick a field goal, maybe even get a touchdown, get it back to a tie score game. And then I have a much better number than what the pregame number even indicated. So understanding, understanding, you know, like where the spread is at pregame, where it closes at, and then kind of how it's moved based on, uh, the course of the game is where I found the most success. And just, you know, having that understanding, I think, is definitely a profitable approach in-game. And I do think it can be successful for a lot of people, even who don't have, you know, models and those sorts of things. Yeah, at their disposal. I like that. And, and that I've never heard that before. So if you like a team and you don't like the number, you'll wait for them to trail. Is that what you're saying? You'll wait for them to go down early, and then you'll jump on the in-game and get a number you're more you're more happy with. Exactly. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm looking to try and cross some of those key numbers, right? Obviously, a lot of score in the NFL three and seven. So if I can get the Cowboys even at you know plus three and a half when the pregame number was plus two and a half, 
I consider that kind of a win. Plus seven and a half, obviously, is way better. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of, you know, a fun way of doing it. Then you're obviously, you know, at the sports book, sweating out the games, having fun, you know, getting you a couple of drinks or something like that. And that's, uh, I think, the best approach for people who uh, maybe want to just have some fun on a Sunday morning and don't necessarily want to, you know, grind out these numbers all week long or something like that. Wrapping up with Ben Brown. How'd you get into the business? How'd you find your way to pro football focus? And what was your background in college with numbers? How'd you, how'd you start this? Yeah, definitely. So I uh, went to college. I went. I had a degree in finance. Uh, that was right around, you know, the Chris Moneymaker poker boom. I think I was like a, mm-hmm. technically a junior in high school that summer uh, and was never really involved. You know, I, I played sports. I played football and those sorts of things. But I was always fascinated with cards and stuff, right? Like I always played with my family, grandparents and those sorts of things, any sort of card game. Uh, so my friends and I started playing Texas Hold'em, played. I, I had, you know, quite a bit of success through college playing online poker at you know, various stops. And then in 2010, uh, that industry kind of collapsed on itself. You know, Black Friday, mm-hmm. those sorts of things happened. And, you know, I was looking for other opportunities within the gambling space. And I started getting a lot more involved with, like, sports betting and this whole daily fantasy sports component uh, with FanDuel and DraftKings. Ended up kind of building a website around that, uh, sold that, and then kind of transitioned to, uh, you know, a role with PFF.com. So that's, that's basically the path. It was, uh, you know, more learning the math and those sorts of statistical probabilities and stuff like that, probably in the streets of the gambling world as opposed to in the classroom setting. I think that, you know, kind of helped me uh, long-term at least be a little bit more successful. So, Excellent, Ben. Thanks a lot for sharing that with us. I appreciate your work yep. at PFF underscore Ben Brown. Real easy to follow. Thanks for doing this, Ben. Talk to you soon. Yep. Thanks, JT. Have a great show. Appreciate Ben coming on here on a Friday and give him a follow at PFF underscore Ben Brown. We're always trying to give you a little bit of an advantage when you're betting on football. And if you're betting on the Raiders, let me look at this one more time because it's been all week long and maybe it'll change over the weekend. But Raiders are catching a point at home and opened up a pick them. Now Cincinnati minus one total on this game is anywhere from 49 and a half to 50 to 50 and a half. Man, let's see. The Superbook's got it at 51. And what does Derek Stevens has it at circa 50 and a half? And Ben MGM has it at 50. So right there, remember that. Uh, these teams score 26 and 24 points. So that's why they come up with that number. It's right there on the number of 50. Speaking of gambling, Lee Sterling. We go back to back with our gambling segment here on a Friday from ParamountSports.com. Lee's a good friend. Everything's transparent. He joins us every week, and we catch him here on a Friday And, Lee, let's jump in here. I want to start using some of your knowledge before the game because this is a big one here. And I was just talking to this guy, Benjamin Brown, right before you about in-game betting. What do you do? Have you jumped in with this? Or do you usually just bet the games with the knowledge that you have before and stay with it? No, I do do some in-game betting, but I don't play a whole lot of games. And if I get a real good feel on a game or let's say there's a major injury – and I know a backup quarterback really well, whether he's great and people don't realize that, or there's going to be a major drop-off, things like that. And sometimes you can just feel the, the energy shift, even like a total. I mean, you watched the Pittsburgh-Detroit game last week, and you can just tell those two teams after a couple series were not going to score. It even went to overtime, and we had the under. We went, went with some in-game uh, wagering there on the under. So, uh, yeah, in-game wagering is great. And uh, the only negative is there's 15% juice, 15 right. 
And so that adds up in the long run. You got a little bit tougher to beat the game than than playing uh, one ten to win one hundred. Lee Sterling, Paramount Sports. What are you hearing? You're really connected with the Miami program about the direction that they're going to want to go in next. There's a lot of rumors out there. So I, I think they have they have zeroed in on two guys. You don't fire someone uh, unless you have someone in mind. And I think mm-hmm. the firing of Blake James was preemptive because they know that. They're going to make a coaching change. The lane train, he wants in 100%, still has a home in South Florida. Uh, I think the number one target will be Mario Cristobal, and they realize that he is the guy that can recruit. Miami, believe it or not, I think they have eight or nine recruits right now that have committed. Not one is from South Florida. And I go to a bunch of South Florida games. The talent here in this 75-mile radius, Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach County, second to none, not one player is recruited uh, and committed to Miami. So they've got to change things. So I think Mario is number one, and apparently they're going to pony up is, is the school $25 million to upgrade uh, the payment mm-hmm. to the coaches, assistant coaches, even upgrade the facilities. So that's a plus. And then if that doesn't work out, I'd go with the lane train. Can you imagine playing a kid wanting to play for Lane Kiffin? I'd love to play for the guy. Yeah, I think Lane Kiffin, wouldn't he be great at Miami down there? Oh. South Beach? <laughs> it would be incredible. It would give him that USC vibe that he had that was so great when he was at USC, just the other side of the country. Well, they, they talk about him being not a great recruiter, but I think mm. kids would start knocking on his door uh, in South Florida. So either one of them, I think, would be the home run hire, maybe get the U back on track. Lee Sterling gives us three games for free. He's a pro. That's a big deal. That's why he's on our show. Let's go Oregon-Utah. Line opened up. Utah minus 2.5, and and it's moved. We'll play it at 3.5 here. It's a make-or-break game for Oregon. All they have to do is run the table. It's hard. This is a tough game. And win the Pac-12 championship, and they're not going to get knocked out of that three seed. Do or die for Oregon on the road in a hostile environment. Well, everyone always talks about quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, all the skilled players. But this game usually comes down to who can run, who can block, and who can tackle the best. And mm-hmm. in my mind, it's clearly the Oregon Ducks here. Uh, they stopped the run. They have not allowed any of the last four opponents to run for more than 110 rushing yards on them. The Utah offensive line is banged up. Even their starting running back, Tavion Thomas, game-time decision here. So that's going to be tough here for Utah. They always choke do the Utes in big games, and the Ducks as an underdog, 5-1 and one against the spread the last six games as an underdog here. Wrong team favored. The Ducks win outright the first game of what will be probably a two-game set, 30-26. to 26. Yeah, Bob, that's great that you bring up the potential of a two-game set. Lee Sterling, ParamountSports.com. So let's go to Green Bay, Minnesota. You know, this, everybody's holding on to these dreams of Minnesota, hanging in there, hanging in there, and getting the seventh seed. And the Niners, who I talked about all week, were were amazing. They played the most desperate game of the year, I think one of the top games of the year under pressure, and San Francisco blew out the Rams, and now they're alive with Minnesota for that seventh seed. Does Minnesota have the ability to play a game like that at home the way San Francisco did in a must-win game? Aaron Rodgers coming into Minneapolis, Green Bay, minus two and a half. So I think the talent is there for Minnesota. When they have Dalvin Cook in, I mean, they are a dangerous team. Dalvin Cook can rip off. We're talking about running plays from 10 to 40 yards like it's nothing. 
the rest of the running backs they have on the roster are pedestrian. So he's finally healthy. The problem here is their coaching staff. Gets to crunch time. They just can't come through. I mean, they should have knocked off Dallas. They were up 7 nothing the first drive of the game and only produced three field goals the rest of the game. Now they're going to go up against a Green Bay defense that has really improved under new defensive coordinator Joe Barry. They're finally getting things into high gear. What have they done the last five games against the Bears, Washington, Arizona, the Chiefs, and Seattle? Average giving up only 11 points per game here. So I just think the Vikings in crunch time aren't someone you want to back. And also Aaron Rodgers, he just dominates the Vikings here. I think they get the job done again, 28-24. Yeah, a lot of people are on that side, and you're a pro. I'd like to hear that there because – Again, Mike Zimmer is going to be out. He's going to be out. If you can't beat Aaron Rodgers and this team at home, and you can't do that and stay in a division hunt, they got to go in a different direction long term. Lee Sterling, ParamountSports.com. And now you give us another big one Kansas City and Dallas. I was there for Kansas City's hammering of the Raiders. Man, did they hammer the Raiders at home, especially the second half of that game? I like Dallas's roster better. But Kansas City's rolling a game. Line opens up. KC minus two and a half. We'll play it here at Kansas City minus two and a half. And the total from 52 up to 55 and a half to 56. How do you see this one? So I think Dallas does have the better roster. But sometimes the better roster doesn't win. Kansas City has been there before. They've done it. And to beat Kansas City, you've got to get some stops. And I love their back end on defense. But now all of a sudden, Randy Gregory's out, and I don't think they have the depth in the pass rush. In fact, they only have five sacks in the four road games here. The Kansas City defense is all of a sudden coming on. We left them for dead after the first four or five games. Last five games, they've allowed just 78 points. So I think it's going to be a shootout here. I think Kansas City just have two guys that are unguardable. CeeDee Lamb is unguardable for Dallas, Mm -hmm. but Kelsey and also the Cheetah, um, I don't think Dallas has an answer for. So uh, I think Kansas City, the last team with the ball, wins this game here, 46-40. Yeah, it's a big spot for Kansas City to keep the roll going. If they lose that and the Raiders and the Chargers win, it's right back to where Kansas City was a couple of weeks ago. Lee Sterling, ParamountSports.com as we wrap it up. Lee, you're giving us uh, the game of the week you're recommending to clients here. It's a surprise to me because of Ben Roethlisberger and the COVID status. Chargers open up minus three. Now it's six and a half here. I know you played it at five and a half here for clients here. Tell me your philosophy behind this game, how we get this game, because there's a lot of uncertainty. That'd be a Steelers home game. Home game for Roethlisberger to play in L.A. There's going to be 35, 40,000 Steeler fans. Well, they, they love to make the trip, especially yeah. uh, out west, and there's Steeler fans all over the world, it seems like. So um, you want to get this game. I think there's a clear right side and a clear sharp side to this game. Just call 800-400-9741. We'll pass the game along to you free. And we rate our games for my clients from 10 to 50 units. Last week we had a rare 40 to 50 unit play on the Carolina Panthers, plus anywhere between 8 and 10 points. They won outright easy, 34 to 10. We have another rare 40 to 50 unit play where we're 54 and 21 over the last 15 seasons. So you want to hop on this play? Uh, you want to get involved? We don't call it November. We call it November. You can get through the end of November everything in football, college basketball, NBA, hockey, and UFC, just $297. And if this game goes down, I've never done this before. 
I will guarantee it wins. If it doesn't win, you get the rest of December on me. How do you hop on board? Just $297 for this big move. ParamountSports.com. Thank you, Lee. Have a great week. Always appreciate your time, buddy. Thanks, JT. Thanks to Lee Sterling again as we head into the weekend. And Lee also he does UFC. So if there's a UFC card, uh, Lee's got a UFC fighter on his staff there, and they have a pretty good track record there. All right. We're almost wrapping it up. I'm going to head over to the studio and host the Silver and Black Show with the great Lincoln Kennedy. As we continue on, Q will take over the rest of the show at the top of the hour. Uh, if you miss any portion of the show this week, go to lvsportsnetwork.com. That's where all our shows are up, all of our podcasts, as we're brought to you by Salmonash, salmonashlaw.com, because you deserve what's right. If you get in an accident, have it in your phone. JT's personal injury attorneys, Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234. Always appreciate you listening. Come see me at The Torch. And on Thanksgiving, if I don't talk to you in advance, have a great Thanksgiving. We'll be live at the M right outside the Raiders Tavern and Grill on Thanksgiving Day for the Raiders at the Cowboys. Always appreciate you listening on Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m.